May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts always be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. As most of you know, for the past three years, our home has been in Swanee, Tennessee. And for those of you who have not been there, it is more of a village than even a town. It's deep in the woods and the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. And there's only one, there's not even a traffic light, there's one flashing light, and it's where the University Avenue meets the highway going down the mountain, the Cowan. There are about 2,300 permanent residents that live there and about 1,500 students. And like college students everywhere, they all go home for Christmas break. And so then, Swanee is dark and quiet. There are not many folks that put up Christmas lights, and there is certainly no traffic, no holiday traffic on that mountain. And so this year, it has been a little bit different, you might say, for our family in the suburbs. Welcome to the Hoover Holiday Hoopla. <laughs> you have, may have noticed that there is a lot of hoopla in Hoover for the Christmas holiday. The Christmas lights and the music and of course the shoppers and the churches everywhere are celebrating with the brightest lights and the most beautiful music and the pretty greens and candlelight. It's just wonderful. And now this is not going to be a sermon that is disdainful of the holiday Hoover hoopla. Oh no, because if you think about it, the Hoover holiday hoopla and indeed the holiday hoopla around the world is a remarkable albeit clanky, piece of evangelism. God is able to use that crazy, mixed-up, secular message of Christmas to draw people to him. I mean, don't you know that there are people everywhere, in all places, wondering what is all this Christmas craziness about? Or being reminded about the Christmas story through all sorts of ways, from the Charlie Brown Christmas special on TV to the Salvation Army bell-ringing flash mobs. And some of those people who are watching all of these things are being drawn to God. Perhaps once again, or perhaps for the first time. And I think we have to admit it. It is, isn't it the holiday hoopla, at least part of the reason that our churches are filled to the rafters on Christmas Eve? And also, is it not during the Christmas season where we see goodwill among men at the height of its activity? We once again are reminded by the toy drives and the food drives and the coat drives of the presence of the poor and the needy in our very midst. The world makes humankind once again focus on the plight of the destitute and the down and out. So once again, God is able to use the mixed up fallible ways of the world to hopefully draw people to himself 
and to learn of his plan for salvation. So I want us to think this morning about the cause of all that holiday hoopla. What in the world set all of this crazy Christmas celebration in motion? Actually, it was not anything of this world. It was actually something from outside this world. It was when the world was interrupted by God. Specifically, the hoopla of today was set in motion 20 centuries ago when the, when the life of a young woman named Mary was interrupted by God. There is this beautiful painting of Mary that hangs in a museum in Italy by the, by the artist Martini. In the painting, Mary is sitting quietly in a courtyard and she is reading a book when the angel Gabriel rushes in and he interrupts her. In the painting, the angel's cloak is still fluttering to the ground. He is so anxious to give his message. He cannot wait to get all settled and make polite introductions. No, he begins speaking at once, and his words are painted lightly in gold, like they're trumpeting across the painting to Mary, who is sitting there holding her book. And if you look closely, she has marked her place in the book with her finger. She has put her finger, the book is closed, but her finger is marking the place where she had been reading. You see, she was expecting a slight interruption. But her world, our world, is about to change in a big way. The angel knows, but Mary does not. Yes, it is a moment of interruption, but it is an interruption that has been planned by God from the beginning of creation. And so then the angel Gabriel excitedly gives Mary his message. Hail thou that are highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And then he goes on to ask her the most extraordinary question. He asks her if she will bear a child and not just any child, an extraordinary child, the Son of God. And she says, yes. And so heaven is about to touch earth in a very extraordinary way. For the most important purpose of all, and that touch that touch of heaven will last forever. The angel also tells Mary about her family member, Elizabeth, who is barren, but now miraculously is about to have a child. Elizabeth is therefore another sign that God's plan for salvation in the world has been set in motion. And then the angel leaves and Mary is alone. One of my very favorite contemporary Christian songs is one recorded by Amy Grant. 
It is sung from the perspective of Mary, and it is absolutely beautiful. She sings, in a world as cold as stone, be with me now. Breath of heaven, hold me together. Be forever near me, breath of heaven. Breath of heaven, lighten my darkness. Pour over me your holiness. For your holy breath of heaven, I offer all I am for the mercy of your plan. Help me be strong. Help me be. Help me. That is the prayer of Mary after the angel leaves. That is the prayer of a mother. And that is a prayer of a life interrupted by God. A life interrupted by God can sometimes leave us feeling alone or bewildered. And Mary's resulting circumstances to her yes, her resulting circumstances were going to be less than ideal. She said yes to God, but then the angel left. But thankfully, God did not leave her alone. God sent her a friend and a confidant, her cousin Elizabeth, someone to confirm her call and someone with whom she would celebrate, someone who would look past the circumstances of what most certainly would cause social ostracization. God gave Mary instead someone who would help her focus on the joy of a baby perhaps even in the light of eternity. So what happens next actually reminds me of the transfiguration. Now in the transfiguration, y'all remember, Jesus went up to the top of the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And when they reached the top, all of a sudden a cloud overshadows the place and Jesus is transfigured. His, white, his clothes begin to glow with white and his whole countenance, the glory of God is shining through him and around him. And the apostles see him talking to two people, the prophets, Moses and Elijah. And then to top it off, a voice came from heaven, the voice of God interrupts Peter's babbling and says, listen to him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At the transfiguration, Jesus received words of assurance from God and the prophets of who he was and what he was called to do and where he was about to go. Because you see, he was about to walk to Jerusalem to the cross. The transfiguration was the beginning of the end. And the transfiguration, after that, he set his face for Jerusalem and began his long walk to the cross. I therefore wonder if the time for Mary described in the gospel today was her own transfiguration. 
She had been visited by the angel Gabriel, and right after that, in haste, she rushes off to see Elizabeth. Was Mary going so that she could confirm the words of the angel? Maybe. But when she got there, she received her own prophetic assurance. Elizabeth and her baby, little John the Baptist, the Elijah of Jesus, was in Elizabeth's womb. And they, Elizabeth and John the Baptist, the baby, confirmed the words of the angel, and they confirm Mary's call. And it is after this time of assurances of the promises of God that Mary begins her own walk that ends up in the manger in Bethlehem. You see, I think the words of God spoken to her by the angel and the assurances of Elizabeth and her child sustained Mary for her walk to Bethlehem and for the decades of work that were ahead of her. It was Mary's time of transformation and transfiguration. And so that interruption in the world by God, the call of Mary to bear and raise his son is the cause of all the hoopla today. Both the secular and the non-secular, inside and outside the church. All of that hoopla of today was set in motion by the birth of a little bitty, very special baby. And so today, billions of people around the world are preparing for and waiting for the coming of the Christ child. The quiet of the stable ended up in the holiday traffic and noise of today. If this is a year when you are enjoying the commotion, I think that's fabulous, I truly do. But I also know that some of you may be tired of all the hoopla. And I also know that some of you, for some of you, your heart is in the dark, waiting for a glimmer of light. If so, I invite you to celebrate the coming of Jesus in the spirit of Mary and Elizabeth, two women quietly preparing for the coming of our Lord. In fact, I think I invite all of you, young and old, of all sorts and conditions, I invite all of you to take some time in the next few days to find a, a place of quiet and stillness, to find a place of silent night, to sit in the darkness for a moment waiting on that tiny glimmer of light that comes from a manger in Bethlehem, waiting for a miracle, waiting for the miracle, waiting for Emmanuel, waiting for God with us, waiting with Mary for that bittersweet moment, because he is coming soon. Amen.